Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. For gathering times and location, find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. I love Jersey Sunday. Everybody's got their stuff on. Uh, what is this? Uh, this is a Kenya Olympic track jersey. And if you're thinking, this is not the day to talk about distance running. You're right. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm good. Let's hop back in the Wayback Machine. Let's go back to Friday night. Uh, right here, we cleared out like the first eight rows of chairs and put up a bunch of tables of two because this was our Valentine's dinner celebration here at Mountain View Sunnyside. And if you look at the pictures, you look at what that dinner represents. It represents one really clear thing. It represents, duh, it's Valentine's Day. It's love, all right? That's what makes marriage worth it. It's God's un- It's God's plan. It's God's like structure for keeping a man and a woman together in holy matrimony for life. It's, it's because of love. That's the start. That's the finish. For that to be a representative representation of the way that God loves the church. And we're going through a series called Finding Freedom from the Seven Deadly Sins. And the thing about all seven of those is they all start in something good. God creates something good. God tells us to do this good thing. God empowers us for this good thing, commands it to us in a lot of instances. But when it's up to us, that good thing doesn't always stay good. And like we've said each week, when a good thing becomes a God thing, like we make it the focus and the center of our life, when a good thing becomes a God thing, say it with me, it's always a bad thing. That's right for all four of you who are paying attention and the two who live with me who have to. Because Anna's already heard the sermon once this morning. It becomes a bad thing. So this great thing of love, when it becomes all about us, we see it in marriage, it gets toxic, it gets bad. But making love all about us doesn't just stay in marriage. It doesn't just stay in our finances. It doesn't just stay in our relationships. Every once in a while, it bleeds into sports also. All right, so we already went back to Friday. Let's hop back in the Wayback Machine and go way back to February 1st, 2015. It's Super Bowl Sunday just like it is today. The Patriots are playing the Seahawks, and some of you already know where we're going. Less than a minute left. It's second and goal from the two. Seattle can either run it in with Marshawn Lynch or they can pass it in. Those are their options. If worse comes to worse on fourth down, you bring out the kicker. Even though you can't trust kickers, you could probably trust the kicker in this situation. Do they run it in? No. Do they kick the field goal? No. What do they do? They try to pass the ball. And what happens when they pass the ball? It gets intercepted. Game's over. Pats win. Seattle loses. And that love, that sense of God commanding us to give our lives for something other than us didn't always stay great. It didn't always stay clean. Somehow YouTube saved it. We got a video. Let's look at what happens. You don't throw a pass when you have Marshawn Lynch. What was that? You do not throw a pass at the goal line when you have Marshawn Lynch. That's the game? That's right. That's the game. God created love. God put love into the world. God told us you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when love becomes something that infects us in a way that turns into all about us, it doesn't stay love. It turns into anger. Anger is a response to what we won't accept and we can't control. 
Like both those things, both those images on the screen are rooted in love. There's love in marriage which God ordains and God sets up for a man and a woman to live together for all of their life. And then there's the love where we make it all about ourselves. And the only way for that to get flushed out because it goes toxic inside of us, the only way for that to get flushed out is through anger. A response to what we won't accept, can't control, and ends up with a destroyed tube TV, right? I think that's the reason why the best time to buy a TV is right after the Super Bowl because they're all on sale because there's a need in your house for one. And there's also like the neighborhood cleanup where you take your old TV and you throw it on the curb and then you buy the new one, all right? It's a response to what we won't accept to what we can't control. They both come from love. And the thing about love is it acts Love moves. Love makes a decision. So when it's toxic, when it goes bad, when it turns into your football team throwing away the Super Bowl, there's a response. There's a reaction. There's something that happens. And you and I are no different. There's love that is good inside of us, that moves us to action, that says, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it is for Jesus, for my kids, for my family, for my parents, for my wife. Hopefully your wife is not below your parents. That one just kind of came out. But there's also a way that it moves us in action where it turns into anger. Our response is to what we won't accept, what we can't control. If you got your Bibles, go to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you have a smartphone, and you got one of those papers that just walked in, there's a QR code that will take you right there. You don't have to look for Jonah. It's about two-thirds of the way through a paper and ink Bible. And we're going to see a response to what we can't accept and what we can't control. And it's all in a life name of a guy named Jonah. Jonah is the most human missionary that you're going to meet in the whole Bible. God tells him, I want you to go, and I want you to rescue this country from sin. And Jonah is the worst representation of what that looks like. He is the worst missionary in all of Scripture because God tells him to do something. And every part of Jonah rebels against that from the beginning. And God continues to chase him down time after time after time. Kind of like the Cowboys chasing after Super Bowl again. Different year, same story. Fire the coach, don't fire the coach. God is going to continue to show up. We're going to continue to walk through. And we're going to continue to see God chasing down Jonah The response, what's driving Jonah in all of this is that Jonah's people, the Israelites, have a history with the people that God calls him and tells him to go to. They were at war when Jonah was younger. And so Jonah grew up seeing people that he knows, people that he loved, die at the hands of the Assyrians. And they weren't smooth executioners. They were brutal executioners. They would torture people. So one day, God begins to step in to Jonah's anger on purpose. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. I think if I was Jonah, I'd be saying, oh, yes, exactly. They are wicked. They don't need, like, any chance. They need instant judgment. They need fire from heaven burn the thing up. Let's have wings happen way before the game because this is like 3,000 years ago. Let's see this happen now with a barbecue and with death. But the thing is, is God's perfect righteous anger 
also moves him to response. Where Jonah just wants to see death and judgment and no second chance. Our God of second chances says anyone with a pulse is open to a second chance from me. And I will chase down anyone everywhere, including a whole entire country that is lost and far from me. And I don't care about your anger because I'm going to use your anger in part of this because my love is a love that's active and it never stops. So God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to be the mouthpiece. I want you to be the spokesperson to say, God is on a mission. The time to turn from sin and turn to Jesus is today. So Jonah responds. Why? Because love pushes us to action, right? So if he loves God, then he acts. And this is how he acts. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, the opposite direction. He bought a ticket. He went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Like we've all been angry at some point. You might have been angry today. You might be angry right now. The thing is that our anger, when it gets inside of us and it roots, it doesn't just stay inside. It grows, it changes, and it doesn't always change in good ways. It brings murder, abuse, destruction. So Jonah is sailing on a ship to run away from God because his anger says, I will not go and I will not do what you're telling me to do. So God, as the God who chases after us when we're broken, chases after Jonah with a storm. He's on a boat. God sends a storm. And Jonah recognizes that he's the reason that there's a storm and there's other people around him on the boat. So he says, throw me overboard because then the storm's going to stop. God's angry at me. I'm the one who rebelled. I'm the one whose anger got the best of him. And so I said, forget you, God. I'm doing my own thing. And God said, no, I'm going to bring you back to myself. And then we're going to do my thing. So Jonah jumps overboard. The storm stops. God's got a mission now. He's still got people to save, just like you and me. So God brings a fish to swallow Jonah, and he spends three days inside of the fish, and then on the third day, the fish spits him out onto the shore of Nineveh to a city that grew up with legends about somebody walking out of the ocean and telling them about how to be saved. God did all the work before him, and all he's asking from Jonah is just simple obedience. And so verse 3, chapter 4, it says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then jump down to verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. And this left Jonah angry. Why? Because the result of what had happened, the reality of living for Jonah, was that people turning from, God, or turning from sin and turning to God was something that he won't accept and can't control. Think about your life, the things that get you mad. Both of them, like all of them have two common things in all of them. Is first off, they're unacceptable to you. That's what makes you mad is you look at what's happening. You look at the way that people are driving around you, the way that people are talking around you, the way that people are talking about you, whether or not you're there. You're saying, I, I won't accept this. And in the minute, in the, like within us not being able to accept things, there's the things that we can't control. And so the way that that bubbles up in us is in anger. We won't accept it. We can't control it. And our, our fleshly response 
is to move to anger. And like all sin, anger ultimately results in death. Like all sin, anger ultimately results in death. Jesus understands that. One time when Jesus is talking to a large group of people, he goes right at anger, not because, well, some people struggle with it, but because we all do. He's saying this is an everyone issue, and it's not just those with blood on their hands. It's those with blood in their heart. And so he says this in Matthew 5, verse 21. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say... If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What Jesus is saying right here isn't that my kingdom is going to be a perfect person's club. He's looking out for you and for me and recognizing the fact that when anger enters our heart, if we don't deal with it, if we don't bring it to Jesus, it doesn't just go down deeper and eventually go away. It moves to the basement and starts lifting weights. And then it comes back stronger when we are not ready for it, when we least expect it, and we've got no defense. It comes back because anger ultimately leads to death. How does that happen? It happens because we get offended. We can get offended by anything. Like there's an element about all of us, no matter how tough you are, where you're soft. That's just reality. Like something, you know what it is, who it is, how it is, eventually we go through life and sometimes we just get over our skis. We just get angry at the dumbest things. So we got two choices in that moment. We forgive and we move on and we grow up or we get angry. We let it move into our hearts and when anger moves in, eventually and we don't forgive, we get bitter. That's anger below the surface. That's the anger that's always there. It's the anger that never really goes away because it's always just under the surface, always just right there. As bitterness grows, we get angry more and more. More things offend us. We become more sensitive. We're more messed up because the anger that had the chance to leave early has now gone into our hearts. It's bitter and now it's bumping up whenever anything happens. As that happens more and more, we get hard-hearted. That means we're blind to the goodness of God. We're blind to the good things in life. We get hard-hearted, and the more and more we get hard-hearted, we become an unknowing agent of Satan, captive to doing his will. Like, that sounds really harsh, but it's totally true, especially for Jonah. He becomes an agent of the devil in this story. God is going to receive the most glory as a whole city, Nineveh, of busted, broken up, unholy people. Here's a message from God saying, it's time to turn. You need to change. God is coming in judgment, and they change. They turn. They repent. They do everything right. And the whole city has changed except for one guy, and his name is Jonah. And God's missionary, God's messenger from the very beginning becomes God's missionary project in this. Chapter 4, verse 1, it said, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people, so just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it even right for you to be angry about this? Like his anger had led him to death. Now, 
There's no instance in here of Jonah punching through a door. There's nobody that Jonah screamed at and cussed him out and told him off and then burnt out on his way out of the parking lot. Because not all anger is loud and some of it's quiet. And some of it, we think, stays hidden perfectly. But we know it's there. And the reality is, is everybody around us knows it's there too. It's anger that results in death. I think the reality for Jesus followers right now, okay? So it's February 11th. For the next 11 months, we're going to live in a country that is going to go crazy, right? Everybody is going to be against everybody. Red against blue, donkey against elephant, Republican against Democrat. There's an election coming. And our blessing as the church of Jesus Christ isn't to take sides because a king doesn't take sides. A king takes over. Our role and responsibility, if you call yourself a Jesus follower in here, because if you're not, you're off the hook. But for those of us who worship Jesus above everything, our only option is to be salt and light. Our only option is to walk with right and left on either sides being hated by both at the same time, but calling both sides to life, calling both sides to repentance, calling both sides to worship our king, not our candidate. Otherwise, we might as well bulldoze this place and put up apartments like the people who we outbid wanted to do anyway. Because if we lose our ability to maintain peace in the middle of a storm, then we're useless. If you think, man, that, there's no hope, that's, that's not me. Like, that's my grandpa. My grandpa was great at that. He's dead now. But here's the reality. If God is really in charge of everything, okay, if he knew that 2020 and 21 and everything was going to happen exactly the way that it did, then he also knew that you were going to be right here today. In 11 months, you're going to be continuing to follow Jesus right here as you are today. And he put you here for a reason. The church of Jesus Christ has always been one generation from extinction. And the reason that it continues to go from a tiny group of followers thousands of miles ago, thousands of years ago, to where you and I sit today is because generation after generation, there's been a group of men and women who look a lot like you and me. You say, God, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I know that you do. And you've put me in a place where people are angry and people are hostile, and I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that you do. And instead of anger in my society and my culture and my screen leading to death, I want the God who gives life to live through me and to see a world changed, not because we've got a better candidate, but because we've got a better king who's taking over and leading us as captives in this. That's God's plan for us as his church. So seven decisions that we need to make today. We need to make all of these seven good things that turn into God things that are always a bad thing. We want to make this really practical. So every week we've got seven things. The first thing is to become a Christian today. If you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, today's your day. You're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. You're saying, I am a sinner who's separated from God because of my sin, and Jesus came to rescue me from my sin. That's where it starts. And you can make that decision today. Second thing is to recommit your life to Jesus today. That's saying, okay, God, you own me. You are my savior. And I know that there's parts in my life like everybody else's that don't line up with you. So God, today I'm coming back. The, the image that we've used for this is something uh, that Jesus said in John chapter four. 
It's our theme verse for this section. Let's put it up on the screen. He's saying anyone who drinks this water, that's real biological, natural water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. It's what God's saying, that that there's parts inside of us that if we continue to live for ourselves, we're going to be thirsty for our whole lives. And Jesus has something better. And that's for everybody today. So first thing is become a follower of Jesus today. Second thing is recommit your life to Jesus today. Third thing is to bring your triggers to Jesus. You have a pulse. That means there's things in your life that are going to get you angry. I might be one of them. So that your goal is to bring your triggers, bring the things that make you mad, bring them to Jesus. We're in Easter season. That's the moment where God left heaven to come to us, to bring us to him. And when Jesus died for you and for me, he died for every part of us. He knows your Carfax report. There's nothing in your history that you can hide from him. He sees it all, and he died for it all. And so he's inviting you into a relationship with him. Sunday mornings before church starts, there's a group of us that meet in the building right over there at 8.15. We pray for you. We pray for us. We pray for our church. We, we bring our issues to Jesus. And for the next seven weeks, because right now we're 50 days from Easter, we're going to go through a book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And there's a stack of them back there. We're selling them for 10 bucks. If you want to listen to it and not just read it, just Google the title on YouTube, uh, and you can follow along having somebody with a really big, deep voice reading it to you. We're meeting the Jesus who died for us and invites us into a relationship with him. Jesus has done all the work, like Fabi said earlier, really well. And our response is to bring ourselves to Jesus. This book is going to walk us through 50 ways of how he did that and how he elicits and asks for a response from us. We bring our triggers to Jesus. Second thing is we bring our triggers to other people. There's one moment in here where Jonah talks to another person about what's going on. The rest of the time, he just moans to God. And in that one instance where he brings what's going on inside of him to other people, peace comes. You're the same. We've got life group signups on the big board as you walk out, and life groups are ways that we can be spiritually selfish. Because as we sign up, as we engage, we get better. And God says, yes, I created you that way. I want you to be selfish in this. I'm encouraging you to sign up for that. Grab the post-its and the pen near you, write your name, write your number, and then as you head out, stick it on one of the groups. There are two groups that I want to highlight. One of them starts tomorrow, and that's financial peace. God is our provider. God releases resources to us to let us live indoors and, and to take care of our, ourselves financially. And that can get messed up in a million different ways. So one of the ways that we get right about this is about learning about things, learning about how God created money to work and how our economic system works. So I want you to, if you're interested in that, write down your name, write down your number. It's not going to make you rich because Jesus was broke and homeless. So following him won't make you rich. So fill out your stuff, put it on the tag there. The next one doesn't start tomorrow. It starts next Sunday right here. We're calling this church part two. So at 5 p.m., we're going to clear out the chairs. We're going to bring in some tables, and we're going to go deeper in what passage we looked at for what it means for us, what it means in the scripture, and what it means for everyone around you. We're bringing our triggers to other people. We're allowing other people through God's work to shape you and me into people who can follow Jesus with more strength. We're bringing our triggers to people. We bring them to Jesus. We bring them to people. Next thing is you forgive those who have sinned against you. 
you're going to get offended again. You're going to get hurt again. And every time we're hurt, we have a choice. Am I going to let this run me into a tree emotionally, personally, relationally, spiritually, financially, sexually, every way? Or am I going to forgive those who have sinned against me? Church, if we're followers of Jesus, that means that Jesus has forgiven you of everything. And there is nothing you can bring that Jesus won't forgive. Our response is to be men and women who live the same. That is, we have been forgiven much that we extend forgiveness. And so as we close, there's bookmarks up here on the communion tables that walk you through this. It's a step-by-step process of embracing forgiveness and laying out the things that have hurt us and offended us and give us a reason to fight back against people. And just like God forgives us, he's empowering us to forgive others. So as you take one of those and you work through it, there's going to be people that come to your mind and hurt your heart because of the way that life has been lived against you. And God is going to meet you in the middle of that. And God is going to walk you through to freedom. And so we forgive those who have sinned against us. We go through that spiritually. We go through it spiritually first because the next thing is we forgive those who have sinned against us again. Because as soon as you pray for them, as soon as you do business with God with them, who do you think you're going to see this afternoon? Those people. And so you've already prayed through it once, and so you've got your rough draft ready to go. Copy, paste, send, put it back to God every time you see them. Forgive those who have sinned against us again. We're training our heart to live with Jesus bubbling out of us and not our own hatred and anger that bubbles out when we least want it. And the last thing is we move into our new identity as a child of God. If you're a child of God in here, If you're a Christian, you're not a hater. You're not vindictive. You're not always bent on revenge. You're a child of God. And Jesus, who forgives you of all your sin, lives inside of you. And you know, sometimes there's complications around forgiveness in your life because Jesus is still walking you out of sin. You're not a murderer. You're a child of God. You're not a gossiper. You're a child of God. You're not a backstabber who's always looking for the right opportunity to just stick it between the ribs. You're a child of God. And moving into our identity changes everything about us, not because of who we are, but because of our God who gives us a new way to live and a new name. That's you. That's me. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, you can find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Now let's go be a church that makes Jesus look good.